1 Peter chapter 1, verses 17 to 23. If you invoke as Father the one who judges all people impartially according to their deeds, live in reverent fear during the time of your exile. You know that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your ancestors, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without defect or blemish. He was destined before the foundation of the world, but was revealed at the end of ages for your sake. Through him, you have come to trust in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are set on God. Now that you have purified your souls by obedience to the truth, so that you have genuine mutual love, love one another deeply from the heart. You have been born anew, not of perishable, but of imperishable seed, through the living and enduring word of God. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Loving God, we give you thanks for your word to us, and we ask that you can continue to give us insight and understanding. Through Jesus. Amen. Uh, throughout May, as I mentioned to the children, we're, we're doing a bit of a series. And you have a, a yellow piece of paper that uh, describes this to you. We're um, called it elementary. And um, this is also on our, on our website as well, if you've seen it. So some of you might have already seen it. Um, and elementary is uh, really just taken from uh, Sherlock Holmes. Um, I'm a Sherlock Holmes fan. I'm not a Sherlock Holmes fanatic, so I don't know everything there is to know about it or anything like that. But how many other people kind of like Sherlock Holmes, like a little bit of fan? Well, we're going to have to do better by the end of May, but that's okay. Um, that's okay. We have some. We've got half the people who said they're fans of Sherlock Holmes. But I think we kind of have a sense for who he is and, and, uh, and what he did, that, uh, that character. Um, there have been all kinds of, uh, the original books and all kinds of uh, different uh, movies and TV shows and all of that, right? Um, so the one that I'm now a fan of is that new, the British TV show that's, uh, uh, that's out. I haven't seen season three, so don't talk to me about <laughs> what happens in season three. Um, I'm waiting until it's on Netflix and I, can, I don't want to pay money to get the DVD or whatever it is. So, um, uh, so don't talk to me about this season. Um, now, the idea behind this series is that just as you know, Sherlock Holmes would go into a crime scene and he would he he's able to know what really happened by observing the details. Like he he can deduce what's really going on by just kind of this fine observation. And we're going to talk about how, as followers of Jesus, we can do that in our life. We we can observe our life, look around, and we can see clues, evidence of God. We can get a sense for what's really going on. Whereas people who are not followers of Christ, don't, they, they don't have that, that framework. They don't have that way of looking at the world. But we do. And in a lot of ways, we're sometimes out of practice of doing that. Um, I'm not saying we all need to be Sherlock Holmes geniuses about this, because you know, the, the guy's a genius and all of that. But I am saying that we need to be able to look at our world in such a way that we see the clues of God's activity, God at work in our lives and in our world, um, because God is. Um, I really liked Sherlock Holmes when I was younger, when I was a kid, um, because I really liked uh, mysteries being solved. I, I really enjoyed that. Um, 
I liked reading those. Uh, there were these books called Choose Your Own Adventure that uh, used to be way easier than reading the original Sherlock Holmes books. Um, and I would read those, and uh, I loved those kind of figuring out the mystery, and I got to sort of be in, involved in it. Um, and, uh, and, you know, I saw a few different Sherlock, I saw a play of Sherlock Holmes, and uh, I went and watched the movie Young Sherlock Holmes when I was a kid, and it terrified me uh, to such an extent that I was in the movie theater on the floor, hiding my eyes and plugging my ears, yelling, I can still hear it, no, I don't want to hear it anymore. Um, but I still love Sherlock Holmes after that, it was okay, I survived that horrible experience. And I've seen the movie since then, and I think, wow, I was a wimp when I was a kid. Um, what is wrong with me? Um, and so I like this idea of a mystery, of kind of looking and seeing clues and deducing what had happened. Um, but I was really bad at it uh, myself. I learned actually how to interpret and how to deduce things from clues from a book. And this book I read in grade 7, I can't remember the name of it. I was a terrible English student in grade 7. And, uh, and I remember there was this exercise we had to do where you read this section of the book and it was this description about this little boy who had managed to crawl into the hole of a badger. And uh, he crawled, it's very dangerous, I'm not recommending this, um, but uh, he crawled into the hole of a badger and, uh, and it was, you know, he it was talking about how he couldn't see anything and uh, was talking about how he was shivering and all of this kind of stuff. And the exercise was, describe the badger's hole. And I went home and how is that even possible? There's no description of the badger's hole. Because it was all about what the boy was experiencing and feeling. Because I hadn't learned how to interpret. I hadn't learned reading comprehension. <laughs> and so my mom sat with me and taught me, well, okay, if he was shivering, what must it have been like in the hole? Oh, it's this hole. So the badger's hole is cold. If you couldn't see anything, what does that tell you about that really bad as well as dark? And that was where I first started to learn, oh, okay, we can sort of start to piece together things from things that we might observe. And it's really important when you read the Bible, but it's also important when we read our lives, where we can see things in our lives, and then, oh, that means that God's at work. I mean, I'm reminded of this when I see things like sunset. And you suddenly go, whoa. Wow, that's, that's God who's, who's painted that, created that. About a year ago, some of you will have heard this uh, illustration before. Uh, heard uh, an Australian missiologist or a, a theologian who's focused on mission uh, talk, uh, use this analogy about how uh, we, People who, who follow Jesus are like people who have seen a beautiful sunset or have seen uh, something wonderful. And those who have it are kind of like people who are living or inside of a room or inside of a house and all of the windows are black with soot. And it's just totally dirty. We have a picture of what those windows might look like. We're going to have that up on the screen. So there's a, a blackened window. And Imagine you've seen, you've seen sunsets, but there's somebody who lives in this house who's never been able to see outside. And your job is, go and tell them what a sunset is like. And we can try, 
We can try and do that, but you're never really going to be able to, to describe it, right? People who follow Jesus are like people who've been outside and seen the sunset. And what Frost said was that as followers of Jesus, what we are supposed to do, we're supposed to be in the window cleaning business. But that's what we're supposed to be doing, is going, finding those dirty windows and cleaning, scrubbing them, so that just, you know, and so the light gets in. And at first, people are not going to see the, the, the beautiful scene on the outside. But they'll see a little bit of light. And they'll think, whoa, what, what is that? And they get drawn to it. Because imagine if this is all you ever knew. And then let's see the next picture. But imagine if that house is right there, looking at that. I mean, that's beautiful. I mean, this can be hard after a long winter, and like people saw the snow one time yesterday. It's May, and so maybe we know better what it's like to be in a blackened window house based on our weather sometimes. But the problem is, is sometimes the church forgets this scene. Sometimes it's like we have been sitting inside the house for a really long time. And we forgot to clean our own windows. We've forgotten to look out. We've forgotten what the light looks like. And so now we're asked, well, now I've got to go and tell someone who also lives in this house what the light looks like. And that's been like 30 years since I saw it. I'm like, how do I do that? And so I'm inviting us to clean windows for each other uh, this month. Uh, this is why at the bottom of our, our sheet about our series, it says take action. Uh, so I'm, uh, you know, I'm putting it out there. Hopefully some people want to do this. But, but as you look around in your life where God is at work, I'm asking you to actually write something down. Write a paragraph, email it to me, or be ready to share it on May 25th about what groups you got to work. Or if you're creative and you, and you have the, the means, uh, take a video of it and email that to me, or take a picture of it and email that to me, or print them off. Uh, print off the pictures and bring them, uh, or if you've got a film camera, I'd be so impressed if somebody to have a film camera and develop the film. Like that would be amazing. If you did that, I'd be, I'd be so blown away. But find something this month where you see, oh, that's evidence of God at work, whatever it might be. And bring that in on May 25th, or, or send it to me in advance, and we'll have those ready to, to share around. So that's kind of a, a challenge. Um, and some of you are just think, oh, I don't want to do that. Um, but uh, hopefully there's enough of you that are thinking, yeah, I think I'll give that a try. And uh, we'll be able to share. Because one of the things is that when we, the way to clean these windows is actually by sharing with each other. I mean, I can give you some, I can give you something, we'll do that this morning, where I'm going to offer something that hopefully will, will scrub a little bit of the window, a little bit of light through, but we actually have to do that for one another in order to, to know how to do that for other people who have never even had any glimpse of the light. And there's a lot of people in our world now, in our country, in our city now, who have no glimpse of that light or don't know the, 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 the glimpses that they may have had. They don't know what the true source of that is. 
as followers of Jesus is to point to those and say, ah, that's God, that's Jesus. And let me allow them to ask questions about it. So we're going to do some window cleaning for each other. And one of the things that we need to do, and this is why I love the, the title of elementary, because it's also kind of a reference to Sherlock Holmes of investigating and looking and observing and deducing and understanding what's really going on. But elementary is also this word that's just saying it's about the rudimentary, the rudimentary aspects of it. It's about the basics. And this is actually the key to knowing where God is at work in your life, is to actually reconnect with the basics of your faith. Because that then becomes the lens through which you see your life. We can pile on all kinds of theology and all kinds of things, but in the end, it becomes about this person, Jesus, who we're called to follow. And when we get to the basics around Jesus, and we keep that before us, suddenly the other things in life start to come to more sharp focus. So we're going to walk through this, this text from, uh, that, that we've heard this morning, from 1 Peter. And hopefully this starts to clean a little bit of, of our own uh, grime off our windows, so that we can see more clearly. So it starts off talking about the Father who, um, who judges all people impartially. And if that's who we are calling Father, then live in reverent fear. I think this is really saying live carefully. And it adds at the very end, in the time of your exile. There's some debate as to what that really means in its original context. But most scholars seem to come down in some form of the people that were receiving this letter. Uh, it was in Asia Minor. A number of churches received the same letter. It was a circular letter that went around. That at some level, they were exiles in their own culture. So even if they had been part of that environment, so most of them were Gentiles or Greeks, because they followed Jesus, that actually put them at odds with their own culture. And so this next section is going to be talking to them about, well, considering that you are kind of at odds from the world in which you live, you need to be careful how you live. Because the culture is going to see how you live and how you act and behave. And you're now representing this one who you are calling father. You're also now representing your brother, Jesus. And so you need to be careful how you do things. Because the culture is looking, the people around you are looking and seeing. So then goes on to teach them and actually remind them about the heart of their faith. You know that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your ancestors. Uh, the NIV, this is the NRSV, the NIV translates this uh, phrase like this You know that you were ransomed from the empty way of life handed down to you by your ancestors. So if these people, they were uh, Gentiles or uh, Greeks, they were living in the Roman world out of the Roman Empire. And it was a brutal world. I don't know if any of you have seen like, the Rome series or anything like that, and that brutality that actually went on in the ancient world around this time. And we are aware of a little bit of it based on things like the crucifixion of Jesus and, you know, thousands of people who were crucified and used in a way of torturing people. 
But it's not just that, actually. You would find that if, if there was a man and he had uh, a position of uh, some prominence in Roman society and was rich, then he was the real winner. And he could pretty much do whatever he wanted. I mean, and our world might not be that much different now, but I mean, when you look at that Roman society, it, it was, if, if you were a man and you had money and you had a position, then you could, then it was just debauchery. I mean, it was, it was horrific. It was, well, I'll just have as many women as I want, or if I want young boys, fine. I can treat women and children however I want. This slave isn't really working out for me. Well, I'll just kill that slave. That was the Roman world. Christians came into that world and, and, and things started to change. There was an absolute denigration in this world of women children and slaves. And so this verse, you know that you are ransomed from the empty way of life that you inherited from your ancestors. Ransom, that, that's actually a reference to buying a slave, like actually buying off a slave and, and setting that slave free. And what happens when that happens is the powerless and the powerful are both free. Is this actually a word for us? Is this really just about the Roman world? Because I think this is a word for us too. We maybe are not at that extreme, but we still have a culture where, well, if you've got enough money, you can do what you want. If you've got position, you can do what you want. And I have news for you, most of us in this, world, in this room right now, we may not feel like it sometimes, but we have money and we have position when you look at the downtrodden in our world. Is this a word for us? You know that you've been ransomed out of what was there before. What's even there now? And it's not with perishable things, like something as perishable as gold. And we, we don't think of gold and silver as perishable, right? It's not perishable things, things that are going to fade away like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb of defect or blemish. So what the author is saying here is that the people are bought out of slavery, not with this perishable money. Money hasn't rescued you. That's not what's going to buy you out of this bondage that you're in, but it's the precious blood of Christ, or the death of Jesus is what has accomplished it. Well, how does this work? Uh, bought out of slavery with Christ's death. How? Well, Jesus is the supreme king. Jesus is God himself who comes down. And he suffers and he dies. And what happens here is that power is emptied out. See, because those people who have power, who have position, who have money, and are men in the, in the Roman world, when one of those people decides, I'm going to unite myself to Jesus in faith, the one who, with supreme power and authority and position, 
made himself nothing and died on the cross for everyone? When a powerful person decides, I'm going to unite myself to that king, well, what does that do to power? Empties it out. Those people are now laying down their power. They're saying, you know what, I'm not, I'm not really above anyone. I can't just treat a child terribly. Because Jesus died on the cross for that child. And I'm uniting myself to him in faith. Now those without power, when they unite themselves to him in faith, what, what happens to them? Well, Jesus, the one with ultimate power, made himself nothing put himself on the same level as those who have nothing and have no power. But he didn't stay there. They are raised with him to new life, a new position. So Jesus is like this great equalizer who takes the powerful and brings them down and takes the downtrodden and raises them up. And he does it on the cross. This is why we have passages in the Bible like Galatians chapter 3, verse 28 that say this. There is no Jew or Greek, no more male or female, no more slave or free, for all are one in Christ Jesus. Both groups, the powerful and the powerless, they are bought by the blood of Jesus. They are bought off in his death, and they are bought out of their particular slaveries. Right? Because you've got the downtrodden who are in one kind of slavery, in slavery to the powerful, but you've got the powerful who are in another kind of slavery. They're in slavery to the culture, to the world in which they live, to their own, they're in slavery to their own sense of power. And Jesus even buys that off. And that is good news for us because we, we often bounce between those two. Sometimes, wow, I just feel like I'm, I'm completely beaten. And Jesus ransomed you out of that. And sometimes you actually are behaving in such a way that it's very much like those, those Romans and those Greeks who are harming other people. And Jesus has brought you out of that too. Both groups are bought by the blood of Jesus out of their particular slavery. And this is just this is just the background. Like, this is just the backstory that we need to know and have in our hearts in order to see what God is actually doing in our world. He was destined. Jesus was destined before the foundation of the world, but he was revealed at the end of ages for your sake, the writer goes on. Through him you've come to trust in God. He raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are, are set on God. In other words, your faith and hope are not set on other things. Right? If you're the powerful one. You haven't been setting your faith and hope on God, but now because of Jesus, you've decided to shift your faith and hope onto God. And you're not trusting in your power and your wealth and your position anymore. And if you've been downtrodden, well, you've had no faith and hope. And now you get to set that faith on God. I'm talking to a community that knows this. This is what we are supposed to know. That Jesus, who is our Lord, has set us free in Him. When we unite ourselves to Him in faith, we are set free from whatever it is that is holding you captive. You are set free in Him. 
This is what we are supposed to know, and the writer is writing this to groups of people who are supposed to know this. He's saying, look at the sunset. He's cleaning windows for them. He says, now that you've purified your souls, because you know this, now that you've purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, which just means now, now that you've aligned your life according to the truth of what Jesus has accomplished for you, that's your obedience to the truth. That means now that you've set your life in proper order because of what Jesus has done for you, now that you've done that, so that you have genuine mutual love, or a Greek word, uh, Philadelphia, is the city of, this is the Greek word Philadelphia, it means brotherly love, or translated here, mutual love. Now that you've done all of that, and you have this, this brotherly love going on in your community, isn't that wonderful? Well, now he goes a step further and says, well, actually, that's not enough. What you need to do is love one another deeply from your heart. And this in English is, is terrible because we don't have words to describe what's going on in this verse. Because it's really this. Now that you have genuine Philadelphia, you need to have fervent agape that comes from a pure or clean heart. Now that you have brotherly love, which is kind of like saying, now that you kind of like one another and you get along in the church and this community that's formed because of this amazing thing that Jesus has done, now that you have that, you need to start doing God's kind of love. That's agape. Agape is divine love. Philadelphia, brotherly love, agape, divine love, unconditional love, as in, it doesn't matter who it is now. Yeah, you're all getting along in this church. It's not wonderful. But what about the homeless person who decides to walk in one day? Do we love them with agape love? Do you love one another with agape love? Are you loving the way God really loves? Because this is the depth to which Jesus has gone and the depth to which Jesus calls us. That's where we need to go from trusting to really loving. Because when we place our faith or our trust in Jesus as the crucified one, the one with all power who laid it down for us and bought us out of our slaveries, we're not talking about just getting along. We're talking about a deep, unconditional, divine love that comes from the heart of God. How? Let's keep scrubbing the windows. Because how are you going to find out what God's true agape love is? It's by seeing Him. And the way He loves, the way He treats His people, His creation. So maybe some of us have, have dirty windows, maybe some of us have little tiny slits of legs and we've got to keep scrubbing to see God. You have been born anew. You've been born anew. Like this whole thing is such a, a change. It's like being born again. 
I know sometimes we're scared of that born again. But that was used for a reason, because that's what it's like. It's like a new life. A holy life. And we forget it. Some of us got that holy life, you know, 50, 60 years ago. And then sometimes the windows get a little dirty over time. We forget to clean them. I know I do that at my house. Wow, oh, those windows look great when I bought the house, but I haven't done that in the last three years. Imagine if I left them a long time. Human beings, we're, we're great at forgetting. And this is why Jesus, this is why God has given us scripture, this is why God has given us this table. What do we say every time we come to this table? Do this in remembrance of me. We're called to remember because, when we, because, because God knows that we're going to forget. That's why he gives us these gifts. We've got to participate in them and clean the windows so that we can see God's light so that we can agape one another. So we can love one another with God's kind of love. You have been born anew, and it's not a perishable thing. It's not something that's going to fade away. It's an imperishable seed, and it's through the living and enduring word of God. And don't miss this. Word here is not the Bible. Word here is Logos. It's Jesus. The living word means the one who walked around us and showed us what God's word is, what God's word to us is. It's Jesus. You've been born anew through the living Christ. As in, he is risen and alive. And he gives you new life too. Every day, a new opportunity to love as he loves you. Amen.